in the King James Version on my smartphone. Again, it's, it's Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Good morning, church. I'm really, really excited to be here. This is just a huge blessing and a huge honor for me to be here at my home congregation where I grew up, look out, see a bunch of people that I've known my entire life, and to be able to talk with you guys in this capacity. It's just, it's just an amazing thing, and this is an awesome church to worship at, an awesome church to be a part of, and everyone in this room is blessed to, to be worshiping here with this group of people. Um, as you can see from the slide here, we're going to talk a little this morning about perceptions, maybe a little bit about misperceptions. And so I have something on my heart. I have a question that I need to start off with this morning. I have something I need to ask you guys. Pretty serious, very serious to me. This is a rhetorical question. So Chad Arns, I don't need any amens or any, anything from you, you know, out loud. You don't have to nod. As I walked up here just a few seconds ago, I was wondering to myself, how many of you sitting there in the audience had the Aerosmith song, Dude Looks Like a Lady, going through your head? Just curious. I get it. Got so, I knew I knew it, Chad. Thank you for that. I knew that coming up here with long hair, looking kind of crazy, that there might be all kinds of different perceptions about, about me as a guy and what it means for a guy to have a long hair. And, and I get that. That happens to me a lot. I've gone into stores with my wife, and I hear, hey, ladies, and... You know, really, really, ladies? A lot of people wonder if I use Pantene, if I shave my legs, if I like bubble baths, all kinds of weird questions. There are definitely perceptions about guys with long hair. And if you'll permit me, just if nothing else is a little icebreaker so you guys can get to know who I am, I want to dispel a couple of these misperceptions right now about guys with long hair. And here's the first one. There is a misperception that long hair is not in style and it is not considered cool. Guys, that's, that's false. The reality is long hair is the new fad and the trend in Washington and in the political world. Anybody here been watching the conventions on TV the last few weeks? Anybody following politics? If you are, you know what I'm talking about. You've seen it yourself. And if, if you don't believe that the guys in, long, in, in Washington are wearing long hair, I've got photographic evidence that they are. Check this out. Look at Obama. <laughs> Just telling you, he's rocking the man bun. There's old Biden right there. He's a little old school. He likes ponytails. What do I say? It's Bill Clinton. Hey, brother. Look at this. That's Donald Trump. That's a power move right there, putting the man bun on top of the, of the head. That's not the only misperception, though. There is a misperception that the mullet is the most worthless male hairstyle ever and should be erased from the 80s. That one just hurt me. 
Guys, the reality is the mullet is a magical hairstyle that imbues magical power to its wearer. You don't believe me? Once again, I've got some proof here. Anybody remember this guy? Yeah? That magical mullet right there allowed this guy to have a number one hit that made him millions and millions of dollars. And here's something to think about. He cut that mullet off, and he became obsolete. That is proof that the mullet is magical. How about this guy, Andre Agassi? Some of you younger folks don't know who that is. That magical mullet gave him the ability to be one of the best tennis players to ever play the, the, the game. And how about anybody recognize Dog the Bounty Hunter? Let me tell you what that mullet did for that guy. It brought a lot of people to justice. And I'm going to tell you, they, he walked in, they weren't afraid of him. They looked at that mullet and they fell on the ground. It is, it's a powerful, powerful mullet. And then how about this guy, Jean-Claude Van Damme? All I can say is you grow a mullet out like that, you can grab a Louisiana bush snake and bite the rattles off. Pretty amazing. But guys, the mullet's not for just famous people. This is, a, this is a, just an average guy, but that mullet right there gives him the magical ability to read minds. Just look at him. I, I can't even stay on this slide too long because it looks like he's reading my mind right now. <laughs> this next one is one of my favorites. Look at this cat. And I mean the guy, not the cat. That mullet right there gives him the ability to be the world's most amazing cat whisperer. Just look at that bond he's got with that cat. And last but not least, you know, Guys, I don't even have words for that. That is just pure magic. The entire family is rocking the mullet. That is happiness at its perfect example of happiness right there. I don't even have any more to say about that. But enough, uh, enough joking. Thank you for allowing me that little bit of an icebreaker. And, and I really don't know what you guys think about long hair or anything like that. Uh, I'm not going to really worry about that. Uh, you guys can go home today and uh, y'all can mull it over. I wondered if anybody would catch that or not. But in all seriousness, um, I really am excited to be here. It's an honor, it's a blessing to be able to, to worship with you guys and to talk to you guys a little bit about what we're doing at Divinity Family Services. And I'm gonna get into that in just a minute. But um, before I do that, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take a second to thank a couple of people. I'd like to thank the KCC leadership just for making this church an awesome church and for having the vision and, and for having the desire to help this church get out into the communities and to work within the communities and to serve these communities. I also want to take a second to thank Jimmy. I had coffee with Jimmy on Thursday. Um, he gave me some great advice. And I'm going to tell you guys, getting up here is a totally different experience than sitting down there and, and being spiritually fed. And Jimmy does this every single week, Sunday, day in, day, every Sunday, week in, week out. It is so hard to come up with a lesson, not only that, than to get up here and deliver it in an amazing way and to spiritually feed a congregation. And that's what you're doing every single Sunday, Jimmy, and I can't tell you how blessed we are to have you here and for you to be willing to share your gifts with us that way. It's, it's an honor to be here, and I, I really appreciate you. I just wanted to make sure and say that. Um, let me formally introduce myself. As Jimmy mentioned, this is my home congregation. I was born here in Kerrville. I was, uh, I was raised here. I attended this church for for many years until my family moved out to Medina where I grew up out at Arms of Hope and um, that was a part of my life for 25 years. And uh, so it's just, it's just amazing to be able to kind of have been in and experience, you know, that work as well. And um, currently I, uh, I work with an agency called Divinity Family Services and we're a foster care and adoption agency. We're, we're here in Kerrville 
And uh, I co-founded this agency with my business partner and a great friend of mine. Her name is Anna Pruitt. I already told her I was going to embarrass her. She's here this morning. She's sitting over here. I'm going to ask her to stand up. Um, that's Anna. So we work together at uh, Divinity, and as we call it for short. And um, primarily what we do is we recruit and we train foster parents to help care for children that are in state care and state custody. And uh, it's, a, it's a crazy work. It's, it's a, definitely a ministry. It's a mission, in my opinion. And I'm just honored to be able to, to be a part of that and to do that. Um, I'd love to, to stand up here this morning and talk to you all day about Divinity Family Services. I'd love to, to be up here talking about what we do and you know how great we think we are and all that. But that's really not why I'm here. Why I'm really here this morning is to talk to you about service opportunities and talk to you about ways to connect. And for uh, there's a need out there in the foster care world, and I feel like there's not a lot of opportunities currently for people to serve because the people don't even realize that there's a need for service. And I want to dispel some of those myths and misconceptions about CPS that we have as a society so that it'll open up these service opportunities. I went back again on Thursday talking to uh, Jimmy. I, I, I was asking for some wisdom and advice on how to put all this together and how to present it to you guys. And Jimmy gave me a really great suggestion. He said, you know, go back to the, the mission of what the church is about here at, at Kerrville. And the mission is to lead ordinary people into an or extraordinary relationship with Jesus. That's powerful. And then he went on to say something else that I feel is um, very profound. And it's something that, that I think is going to affect me for a long time. He said, what better way is there for us as Christians to develop that extraordinary relationship with Jesus than to do that by giving our life away through service to others? That's, that's pretty amazing. You get closer to Jesus by serving others is the bottom line. This church is doing that. This is nothing new to the, the KCC church here. There are so many opportunities we have to, to serve others in this community. You know, we have the Fix-It Angels. We have the Veterans Assistance. We have the Christians Assistance Ministry. We have the, the Work with Arms of Hope. It's amazing how many opportunities we have to get out into the church. And the thing that we have to remember as Christians and as a church is we don't want to be a church that just sits back and we, we just look at all these things and we give it lip service. We have to be a church of action. We have to get out and we have to really make an effort for others to see us connecting. That's what people want. They want to come to this church because they look at the, the members and they say, man, they're in the community. They're serving other people. They're building relationships. People want to connect. And this church has got that down, and I'm so honored and blessed to be a part of that because so many great things are happening and so many people are being benefited by what this church is doing. So what I'd like to do this morning is I want to talk to you about another opportunity to serve, and that's, that's in the foster care realm. Again, I'm not going to talk about what we do at Divinity. I'm going to talk on general terms here because I want you guys to realize that um, there's some lies being told by Satan right now. We read those verses about perception a little earlier in, in Proverbs. Unfortunately, if we're perceiving the wrong things, then we're operating under a lie. And it's hard to serve when you don't even realize what the truth is that you're trying to serve for. So this, this morning I want to dispel a couple of misperceptions about CPS and about foster care, and I want to show you what the truth is, and then I want to talk to you about some ways to serve. The first misperception that we've noticed in working in, in, in the state, with the state and in foster care, is that caring for children removed from their parents is the job of CPS. 
If you translate that into to another phrase, it's somebody else, they're going to take care of it. They, they've got it. I don't need to worry about that. This is a very difficult lie to, to counteract because there is an element of truth to that. It is true. The state has set up a governmental agency, CPS, to take care of these children that are coming out of their homes and to care for them. And on paper and in theory, it looks great, guys. I mean, it, you'd think, oh, they got this covered. I mean, if you think about the, the pieces that are involved in this, you've got CPS investigators who go into a home and they see that there's a problem. They decide, okay, yeah, there is a really bad issue here. This child or these children are being you know, abused or neglected. They take them out. They're going to put them in a loving, caring foster home. These, parents are, these foster parents are going to care for them and love them. You've got CPS workers that are meeting with the child every month. You've got them also working with the biological biological parents trying to help them get their lives together so they can get their children back. You've got a judge that's presiding over the entire legal case for that child. You've got a CASA volunteer who's going into the child's home, getting to know the child, and then going and reporting to the judge an unbiased opinion on what's best for that child. You have attorneys assigned to the child, the biological parents, an attorney for the department. You have mental health care professionals attending to the children's you know, counseling and therapeutic needs. You've got medical professionals attending to their physical needs. You've got Medicaid to cover. It sounds great. And you think, okay, hey, this is good. It's what the government's doing. It's what CPS is doing. We're good. There's, there's nothing else needed here. That is not the truth unfortunately. And guys, I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it work in a totally different way. Generally, the way it works is something along these lines. You have a CPS investigator. They go into a home. It's two in the morning. There's six kids in the home. There's severe abuse and neglect going on. They got to remove these kids out of that home immediately because it's too dangerous to keep them there, but there's nowhere to take them. There's no foster home available because there's not enough foster family. So they end up taking these kids to the office that night. They, slip, they sleep in the CPS office. The next day they realize, I still don't have a place for these children to go. Nobody wants to take you know, six children or six siblings. So either A, we got to split them up into different homes, which is horrible, or B, I got to take them to a shelter because there's nowhere else to put them. So you take them to the shelter. Well, after 90 days of searching, there's still no foster home available because they can't take six kids. So they decide, okay, we're going to split this sibling group up and we're going to put three in this home and three in this home. They can't stay in the shelter longer than 90 days because there's no funding available after the 90th day for those children in the shelter. Then they put them in the foster home. After a couple of weeks of the foster, being in the foster home, the children's behaviors are escalating because they've been through so much trauma in their, their biological home. And the foster parents say, I can't do this. It's too hard. There's, there's too, too many behaviors here and there's too many children here. So then they ask if we could find another foster home for these children. So we do that. In the meantime, CPS hasn't been out to the home yet because they've got 9,000 cases going on. And guys, I could just, I could keep going on and on. I think you get the point. What I'm trying to tell you is that the way it's supposed to work is not always the way it works. And I'm not saying that in a negative way towards CPS or towards the system itself. CPS needs our support. These are good people with great hearts that are giving everything they have to take care of these kids. They're overwhelmed, they're overworked, and they're underpaid. In 2015, I think there were somewhere in the vicinity of 75,000 75, in the state of Texas cases opened up in CPS, and there's only about, I think it's 2,500 CPS workers. You do the math. They're overwhelmed. The bottom line is this is what the reality is. God did not intend for the state to raise children. That's the bottom line. The moment these kids are pulled from their home, first off, there's dysfunction going on in the home, but the moment they're pulled from the home and put in the system, it's already inherently flawed. There's already problems because it's not God's plan. It's people 
getting involved and making things messy. And as a result, you have children going into a system that they never should have been in the first place. And generally, when you have God's plan not being followed, you have problems that ensue. The bottom line here is, as a church, we got to realize the government's not getting it done. And we have to step in as a church, as a people, as a community, and we need to help. And in a little bit, I'll talk about ways we can help. But I want to go to the next misperception. The next one is this. I'm familiar with CPS. I know these things are happening within some families, but it, it doesn't affect me. Translation, I don't need to worry about this. It doesn't touch me. Again, this is an easy lie to buy into. If it doesn't affect our daily life directly, if it doesn't affect our bottom line, our finances, or it doesn't affect somebody we love, we generally feel insulated from it, and we feel like, hey, this isn't a problem I need to worry about. That's not reality. That's, that's a lie that Satan is feeding everybody. This is the reality. You've already been affected by this growing epidemic, and you probably don't even realize it. I'm going to give you a couple of examples of how that, that's the case. The first is this. Most of you guys probably pay taxes um, of some sort. You're paying taxes to the IRS, or maybe you're paying property taxes, or, or whatever it may be. At, at any rate, you're sending money to the federal government. And you know what they're doing? They're turning around, and they're funneling that money back to the states, who then pass it through and they, to the legislators to make a decision on how much money to allocate to the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services, and then they give them that money, and they use that money to help care for these children that come into foster care. Bottom line, you're paying for it. You may not even realize it, but you are. And here's something really scary, and I promise I won't get on a big old soapbox about politics, but I will tell you this. Those legislators that you may or may not have voted for that are making all these decisions on how to raise children are the same ones that can't balance budgets, that want to argue within their own parties or argue among other parties, are, are more interested in character assassinating each other in the uh, hopes of getting reelected than they are caring about children in care. That's the bottom line. Again, we're relying on a government to do something that really they shouldn't be doing, and you're paying for it. Permit me to be a little bit direct here and a little blunt. And I, I debated on whether to, to go this far. I'm probably on the line here, but I just can't help myself. So I'm going to give you another example of how you're probably being affected, and, and you may not even realize this. We've seen this at Divinity. We've seen this. This is true. This happens. In our own community here in Kerrville, Texas, on any given Saturday night, let's say, there is likely a family somewhere cooking meth in their home. They got kids in there. There's a whole story I could tell you about meth embedding itself in your clothes and in your skin and things like that. They decide that they want to go for a joyride, so they get in their car. And for whatever reason, they don't want the kids in there because they're screaming and crying because they're probably not being fed and taken care of. And so they leave the kids there with either strangers or whoever happens to be in the house, or maybe even worse, by themselves. And they get out and they start driving around in the streets of Kerrville high as a kite. Well, so, well, here's what I'd say. Maybe that same night, your kid is coming home from the theater from a movie or you're on the streets, or somebody else you care about is on the streets. Do I really need to say anything other than that? Best case scenario, there's no tragedies. The children are rescued from that home, and you end up paying for their care. Worst case scenario, there is a tragedy. You never know what's going to happen. And heaven forbid that 
they have a wreck and kill somebody and then their kids are removed and, and we, could, we could go on from here. The point is, this is happening in your own community here in Kerrville, Texas. Whether you know it or not, you are being affected by this epidemic and this problem that we have as a country where children are living in homes that aren't safe and healthy and they're being removed at an alarming rate. We have to get involved as a church. We have to realize there is a need to help these children and to help these families. If we don't get involved, I don't know who's going to. Here's the third misperception, and this is the last one I have. CPS and foster care is a social issue best handled by the government, bureaucracies, and schools. Translation, this is not a church issue. I don't know how many of you guys feel that way. Um, it's very easy to fall into that trap thinking, oh, this, doesn't, this isn't you know, something we really need to worry about. Once again, it's an easy lie to believe because we do have a governmental system that's built to take care of these children. But this is the reality right here. The need for foster care and CPS is a function of the demoralization of our country's value system and the destruction of God's intent for nuclear family. This is absolutely a church issue. I want to tell you guys something. Without a doubt, every day I can, I can tell you story after story after story, we witness darkness and we witness evil working within these situations involved at CPS. And that's exactly what it is. There is a spiritual warfare going on around these children and around these families. These kids generally and these families generally are families that have a lot going on in their lives, and most of them, they don't have a relationship with God. They don't have that extraordinary relationship with Jesus. And you know what that means? It means they're vulnerable. They're open up to Satan's attacks. And they're weak because they don't have that strong background of faith and, and that relationship with God. And th they're easy pickings for, for Satan. He's just going on in there and just fighting for their souls and just enjoying life. If we don't stand up as a church and we don't realize that there is a spiritual warfare going on and we don't insert ourselves in some form or fashion, nobody else is going to do it. The system that these kiddos are going into, the governmental system, it's not built on faith. It's not structured around the belief of relationships with God. It's, it's, it's built around how much is this going to cost, how many kids do we have in care, and how fast can we get them out of care. They don't care about their spiritual well-being. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just the truth. It's a fact. This is, if, if you take nothing away this morning, please take this one piece with you. This is the most important thing I'm going to say. The only way for these children and these families to affect change in their life and to turn their lives around and to be saved is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the truth. All the therapy, which is awesome, and that's a huge component, their medical care, the visits by CPS, the visits by us as an agency into the home, that is all important. But nothing is going to change them more than their relationship with Jesus. And if we don't get out there and we don't break that cycle that they've been living in and we don't introduce Jesus to them, who's going to do it? I don't know of anybody. I, um, I don't want you guys to think this is all doom and gloom, okay? It's not. In fact, the fact that I'm telling you about misperceptions is actually a positive thing, and I'll tell you how. Now that we know what the lies are that, that we're being fed by Satan and we know the reality behind it, this is an opportunity 
This is an opportunity for us to get involved, to take action, just like we do as a, as a church with all these other outreach, out, outreach ministries, to get in there and make a difference and to bring Christ into the system. And there's so many different ways to do it. And you know what? There are, there are so many great things happening right now in this, in this work. And, and you don't hear about it because the media doesn't, they're not going to tell you about the adoptions going on. They're not going to tell you that San Antonio had a mass adoption with 45 kids that were adopted. They're not going to tell you about the, the you know, 200 days in a row that go by that no child dies in foster care. They're going to only tell you about the negative things because that's how they get their ratings. The reality is there's a lot of great, wonderful people out there promoting loving homes and Christ into these children's lives. And that is really what this is all about. And I could sit up here all day and talk to you about, you know, how, how many wonderful people there are and things like that, but I have a surprise for you guys. I'm going to actually, we're, we're going to wrap up for my end here in just a minute, but I have a foster family that we work with. They're an amazing, amazing couple. Um, I don't want to steal their thunder. They're here. They want to share some words with you guys about their journey. And so I'm going to let them come up here now. I'm going to ask the Burns family to come up and, and talk to you guys a little bit about their experience with foster care. And I think that you're going to see these misperceptions we've been talking about can be busted and that Christ can be inserted into the system and great things can happen. God is good. <laughs> Paul Harvey told of a five-year-old who was in their backyard brushing their dog's teeth. When his, their, her father asked, what are you doing? She replied, don't worry, Daddy. I'll put your toothbrush back just like I always do. <laughs> the joys of being a parent. Daily at our house, we have do-overs and second chances. Every day is a new day, and we always start with a clean slate. We say, I love you, and I forgive you often. We build forts. We read books, we clean up muddy footprints, and we give many hugs. We learn things about the boys every day, some things unimaginable. But through it all, God is with us. Through all the tantrums and tears, love and laughter, he is with us. Good morning. We are Patrick and Beth Burns, and this is not the beginning of our story. Our story starts in the fall of 2012. We were living in Fort Worth. Patrick's next temporary job was going to be in San Antonio. But the drive between San Antonio and Fort Worth quickly became more than we can deal with. And so in the fall of 2012, we moved to San Antonio. Over the next three years, we started to look towards the next journey of our life, retirement. Our adult daughter was moving to Arizona to be with her boyfriend. Our youngest was heading off to Texas Tech to pursue his degree in wind energy. And we did what most empty nesters might do. He got a new sports car, and I got a house, the one we thought would be our forever home. Life was good. Little did we know that after meeting a girl named Cookie, our path would take a completely different turn. You see, I am adopted. So we have talked about adoption over our lives many times, but nothing that moved us into action. We met Cookie through a friend's daughter. Cookie was a delightful young lady. She was very outgoing and kind. She loved the Lord. And we learned Cookie's story. 
She and her seven siblings had been abandoned at a hotel by their mother. Dad was in jail, and Mom was out doing whatever she needed to do to score her next fix. She and all of her, the, her siblings were in CPS custody. Cookie and her two of her sisters were living at St. Jude's Children's Home in Bulverde. Meeting Cookie, though, completely changed our view on kids in CPS. We always thought those kids were either broken or damaged. But through Cookie, we learned that that was not the case at all. Many of these kids are just normal kids. They just happened to have the misfortune to have parents whose lives had gone completely off track. Patrick asked me if I was really done having kids. I jokingly said, the only way that would happen is if we adopted and they must be housebroken. Sometimes you should be careful what you ask for. God does have a sense of humor. Patrick and I talked more about moving forward with adoption, and we prayed about it a lot. So we called CPS, uh, we called Cookie CPS uh, manager to inquire about her status, and Cookie and her sisters were already on the path to their forever home, separately, I might add. Um, but the Lord was working in us. We weren't to stop with Cookie. We asked the best way to start the process to become a licensed foster home. She said, through Divinity Family Services in Kerrville, they're really good. And a little plug for you there. But through much praying and discussion, we decided that we would move forward with becoming a foster to adopt family. We wanted to make the difference in a child's life, a life that every child deserves. We can't help them all, but we can certainly help one, or as it turns out, two. In May of 2015, we called Divinity and took the leap to become a licensed foster to adopt family. On this journey, we have been blessed to cross paths with many amazing people that have walked with us through every step of the process. The first person was Cheryl Keaton. She took us through the licensing process. This process was time consuming, but it was not difficult. You can go as fast or as slow as you want to go. It's really about checking the boxes, which we did. On September 9th, we received an email from Cheryl titled, You Are Licensed. It was great. We were so excited, and we were about to start the child selection process. Oh my gosh, the child selection process is here. We're really doing it. This is really happening. So we got nervous, but we always had faith. We continued to pray a lot, and God continued to speak through us. Faith because God placed it on our hearts to take this journey. He continued to remind us through prayer, and we had no doubt that we were doing the right thing. The next person to walk with us in our journey was Angela Austin with Divinity. We gave her our wish list, one child between 8 and 12, either boy or girl, but basic level of care. And we found Lucy, a 12-year-old girl that was exactly what we wanted. We started the process to get to know her, day trips to fun places, weekend overnights. This continued for about two months. But due to some unfortunate circumstances, which is a much longer story, uh, we had to end our process with Lucy. It was mid-December 2015. At this point, we qu really questioned if it was the right thing for us. It had been an emotional roller coaster, and Angela, our church, and other friends continued to 
uh, give us encouragement. Soon after we ended the process with Lucy, our pastor gave a sermon over Psalm 127, where we're told that children are a gift from the Lord, and they are a reward, a reward from him. Even though our hearts were hurting, we knew we had to persevere. We took the time to immerse ourselves in books and classes and absorb anything we could to better understand the children in foster care. And guys, we learned so much. The first thing was that everything about raising kids as your own biological kids versus foster kids, you can throw out the door. It's different. On February 5th, we received a call from Angela. There were two boys, ages six and seven. Mom had passed away in September of 2014. Father's rights had been terminated and they needed to be placed quickly. The paternal grandmother who was keeping them decided that she couldn't keep them any longer. One of them had ADHD and the other one had no issues. Would we take them? I called Patrick to share the news, but I couldn't reach him. So I pulled the car, my car off the road and I prayed. A huge calm came over me that day and I knew in that moment what I had to do. I called Angela and I said yes. Yes, we would take the boys. Now remember, we wanted one, eight to 12, with basic level of care. I just said yes to two, ages six and seven, 10 months apart, mind you. We were not equipped for two boys at our house. Then the wait, and we waited. It was only a few days, but it seemed like an eternity. On February 10th, we received the call from Central Registry. We were getting the boys. I called Angela to share the great news. And the next step, let the shopping and preparation begin. <laughs> we had to get everything for two boys, an entire bedroom suit to include bunk beds, two dressers, clothes, and toys. This was a big undertaking. We had a very short amount of time to get everything ready. And so many people rallied around us. We had people from work, people from church, people we didn't even know. Their kids went into their closets and got their toys out, some of them not even opened, say, with notes attached saying, we want it to be just like Christmas morning for them, just like Christmas morning. Everything came together, and on the afternoon of February 16th, the boys arrived at our house. They bounded in full of smiles, Ryland saying, wow, is this where we're going to live? Is this our room? and the joy of being an adoptive parent began. However, the honeymoon did not last long. For within a week, Ryland started showing some extreme behaviors, much aggression, hitting, kicking, and yelling, not what we were expecting at all. We dealt with this the best we could, but after a couple of weeks, it became more than we could handle. Our job was to keep them safe, and this was becoming increasingly difficult. We sought out medical professionals and were able to get the help we needed. Ryland today still faces daily challenges. However, we have more good days than bad, more smiles than tears, and many I love yous. Once we got Ryland stabilized, Noah started acting out. Unlike Ryland, whose behaviors were primarily directed to Patrick and I as the caregivers, Noah acted out everywhere, at school, at home, and daycare. 
He cleared the classroom at school more than once, same at daycare. One of my lowest points was the week before school ended. At after-school care, Noah had completely destroyed his classroom. Chairs were overturned, every book was thrown everywhere, papers, crayons. I had to carry him out, physically carry him out to my car. Once I got home, I got the call from daycare. We had been kicked out. In retrospect, it probably wasn't the worst thing that could have happened, but it was a day where I had serious doubts and really questioned if we could do this. It was just exhausting. But out of that storm, we found a rainbow. Literally, we found Rainbow Station, a daycare that has been absolutely amazing for our boys. At one point during the crazy behavior, some of the boys' biological family even came forward and expressed interest in maybe getting them. They had no previous relationship and they wanted it to be on a trial basis. Starting to prepare ourselves for the worst, assuming through the legal process the kids would go back to the biological family. But they did not. The judge made a decision that it was in the kids' best interest to stay with us. We'd been 100% committed from the beginning, truly the Lord's work, and it was a great day. As we continue to write our story, this September we'll be finalizing the adoption of the boys. We will get the privilege to be their forever family, and they will be officially a Burns. In closing, our story is much more than what we've said here. It has a rich texture and is filled with the lowest of lows, but the highest of highs. It has not been easy, but it has been so very rewarding. If you've ever been thinking about taking this journey, or maybe you feel God is guiding you towards it, then do it. There are over 30,000 kids in foster care in Texas at any given time. So whether it be fostering, fostering to adopt, or just giving of your time or monetary gifts, or even if you know somebody who's fostering or wanting to get involved and you're just assisting them, I encourage you to get involved. Beth and I give all the glory to God in this journey. He has put many angels and saints in our lives, some for a reason, some for a season, and some for a lifetime. Are you ready to start your journey? Brandon? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for, for sharing that story. And I, I just got to tell you guys something. I, what can I say? <laughs> I mean, that, that sums everything up right there. They busted the myths. They busted the misconceptions. They're living proof of what can happen when God is involved in this process. And despite what a lot of folks think, God can be involved in a governmental process. We don't have to shut him out. I'm going to tell you all something. Most, in most situations, those two boys that they're adopting, most people wouldn't have been able to do that. They would have ended up bouncing from home to home and either A, aged out of the system or, or worse. It is truly amazing that they are doing what they're doing. And, and if you could hear the entire story in all of its detail, it would, it would blow your mind. It is truly uh, by the grace of God that, that this has come to fruition for this family. In closing, I just want to say that, uh, again, I appreciate you guys, uh, all your hearts 
the time this morning. I appreciate this opportunity to share with you some, some ways that we can serve here in, in our own communities and to help CPS and help these children and these families that are struggling. There's so many opportunities. You can be a foster parent. You could be a CASA volunteer. You could be a respite care provider to give, give our foster families a, a break when they need one. There's just countless opportunities and ways to help. And if you are interested in that, please don't ever hesitate to let us know. You know, talk to the church. You can get in touch with us. We're, I'm around here. I, you know, Anna and I both worship here. So if this is something that you feel called to do, just let us know. We're going to have the, uh, the, the, some of the shepherds come forward, just like we do every Sunday. If you feel like you have a need to be prayed over or you want to put Christ on in baptism or something along those lines, uh, please know the church is here for you to do that. And we're going to go ahead and, and sing a song right now and conclude our ceremony. Again, thank you guys so much. Uh, God bless you, and thanks again.